Hey on the call listeners, this is Jeremy Neff, and I'm here with my colleague Pam Leist. We'll get to the episode soon, but we want to share a quick announcement first. Jeremy and I are excited to share that we will once again be speaking at the LRP National Institute, this time in Savannah, Georgia, on May 5th through the 8th. Conference is really a fantastic opportunity for school education professionals like yourselves to come together and share insights and knowledge. Jeremy and I are honored to be speaking at the National Conference for the third year in a row. My session is Can You Keep a Secret? Navigating Confidentiality under IDEA 504 and FERPA. I'll be sharing practical tips for keeping your teams compliant with these laws. After leading a session for school attorneys on lessons learned from COVID, my topic for the National Institute is successfully mapping the exit from IDEA services. I'll discuss the different ways a student ends eligibility and how to ensure that's a successful transition. These sessions promise to be insightful and practical as always, and we always offer actionable takeaways you can implement in your schools. If you want to learn more about the National Institute, you can find a link in the show notes for the newest on-the-call episode or go to lrpinstitute.com. Pam and I hope to see you there in Savannah. Until then, enjoy this episode of On the Call. Ennis Britton, this is Jeremy. How can I help you? Hi, Jeremy. Do you have a minute? Of course. What's going on? Well, I just wrapped up yet another virtual meeting, and it seems like we're still using the virtual um, mode of meetings at the request of the families, like Mm -hmm. this one. Mm -hmm. And this is where they have a medically fragile grandparent in the house, and they need to be really careful. And I get that, but I have to say that I don't think this is the format that's really appropriate and it's not working as well as it used to. We used to have a great relationship with this family and anymore it seems like we don't get that benefit of the doubt of having that in-person type of meeting. And the family is quick to assume people aren't taking their concerns seriously and they're much less trusting of us, or at least that's how it appears with what we're doing to serve their child. Any tips on what we can do to move forward? Let's talk through some strategies. Welcome to Season 2 of On the Call, Ennis Britton's special education law podcast. I'm Erin Wessendorf-Fortman. And I am Jeremy Neff. And we are ready to dig into this call. So there have been a lot of uh, surprises some of them positive that have come out of the past three years and COVID and a pandemic and all of that. And one thing that's really been good is these virtual meetings um, and just the ability to make things so much easier for families uh, or in the case of this call for a family that has some lingering concerns due to the health of a, of a family member that's living with them. Well, they're easier, but I'm going to push back some. And I think that's where this whole pod comes from on this because it's easier to attend. It is also easier to not have full engagement. Wow. It is also easier to not read a room, to turn off a camera. I don't find relationships are built as well when you're virtual. I just says, don't. Says the person that's recording a podcast to help people. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but my personality can come across oh, yes. just with ringing endorsement <laughs> as well as your burning sarcasm. So yes, it's yes. fine. <laughs> 
So, but, you know, we've gotten these calls, right? And we've seen it firsthand because, you know, unfortunately, there are times when we're involved for years with the same family. And, yeah, I I agree with you. I don't think any relationship is strengthened by um, making it less in person. No, but it does help when parents who have inevitably been hard to get a hold of, hard to come to meetings, hey, I can do this during my lunch break. I'll just log in. It does allow for more of what we want, which is parent participation, right? So it's one where when we look at meetings, meeting attendance, virtually or in person, our goal is always what the law requires for parent participation, mainly to, not mainly, to consider their input because they are the first entity listed Mm -hmm. as a required member of the IEP team. And so we need to make sure that they have participation and not just wrote, hey, they attended, but it has to be a meaningful input. Well, a meaningful participation, right? And that's what I think a court case that came out of the Sixth Circuit said. But that meaningful participation means that we listen to what they bring. We can go ahead and and help to respond, answer questions. But virtual participation can sometimes make that difficult. And that really matters because the courts are consistently going to find if meaningful parental participation is not allowed, there's going to be a FAPE violation. And that's that's ultimately in a court case or a due process complaint. You've got to be able to make that connection. And some procedural violations don't do that on their own. Parental participation almost always is going to be found as impacting whether FAPE is really offered. It's going to be substantive. It's going to have some teeth with it. And so knowing that, we really haven't had, though we've had the influx of virtual meetings, right? I mean, my calendar has Mm -hmm. 50 times more of them than they used to have pre-COVID. We haven't had new regs, new guidance on how best to have these virtual meetings. But history offers us some guides because IDEA has always expected and 504 has always expected we're going to accommodate some parents in ways that sometimes mean not just a straight up, hey, let's all sit in a room and talk at each other. Uh, So we've done that through offering interpretation, whether foreign language or sign language. Uh, There have been other ways we might accommodate somebody with disabilities. And, And of course, we've always been expected to work together for scheduling to work out. And we've managed to make it. But I mean, we've always had challenges with that person. If I've got a factory job that goes from 7.30 to 4 o'clock, and you're saying, oh, well, that coincides with our teacher schedules, that's tough. We've got to figure something out for that. And I found, though, that even the virtual aspect, I think it can make some of those required accommodations even easier, right? I mean, I've been on the meetings where all of a sudden I go, whoa, whoa, whoa why, why is there, why is it transcripting almost everything at the bottom, mm-hmm. right? It's almost mm-hmm. closed captioning as we speak. Now, it doesn't mm-hmm. get it right all of the time, but it helps to allow those aspects that would otherwise be pretty difficult for us to do on the fly. So that's helpful, but... I just, I don't know. I miss that ability to, if I wanted to throw something at someone, not like I ever would, but I miss that ability to <laughs> you, do that. You could have said if I wanted to pass the box of tissues oh, or something, no. but no, you had to go straight no, to violence. I, uh, always. <laughs> well, so so we've, we've had uh, guidance and uh, regulatory language even from before the COVID pandemic that, that talked about the idea of accommodating parents, including using alternative means of, of uh, meeting participation, such as video conferences and conference calls. We've had guidance that's uh, directed us to do all those things, including in back in 2015, the feds issued some guidance talking about the use of conference calls and how that was perfectly appropriate to address meaningful parental participation as needed. 
I think we've gotten to the other side of it, though, now. Hopefully, we're coming back to the reasonability of it. So right during COVID, we even had the guidance from the Office for Civil Rights that said, hey, you can do virtual meetings. It meets all of the requirements. But do you remember back in in those days? It's a bit of a memory jog. Mm -hmm. But I even Mm -hmm. remember talking to student services people, and you would see these funny things on the news, too, where people are like, oh, well, yeah, you know, parent was on the meeting, but they didn't have any clothes on. Or we would hear the toilet flush in the background or this, (laughs) that. You're like, what? Where have we gone? And worse. Yeah, much worse. worse. Much worse. Not in a school Not, meeting, yeah, this, though. This is, this is a PG. Well, there was that one board meeting, I think. It wasn't in Ohio. I forget where that oh, was. No. It was terrible. It was hilarious. Uh, all right. Oh, look them up, folks. A little I'm bit sure of shot right there. News. Yeah. But we know we can do it. I think the point of this pod is to really focus on, well, in the case you're going to talk about, maybe some of the hilarity of some situations, but how best to refocus virtual meetings on ensuring our requirement to give parent participation and to make sure we've documented all of that in our prior notices, mm-hmm. right? So let's yeah. give me some Switch funny. Over. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So um, the good news on this is it's not easy to find cases that talk about virtual meetings. That means that we're not seeing a lot of formal challenges on these. Um, which is why we're going to focus mostly on practical tips here, much more than uh, uh, our typical episodes. Uh, So the case that we found is out of Indiana, and this was a state formal complaint from May uh, 26th of 2023. And what happened was we had an underlying due process, and that's important to start out with that. So there was a due process complaint that had already been filed. Uh, So there's some hostility here. And the school, uh, at parent request, agreed to schedule a virtual meeting at parent request just to for her to share concerns. And they said clearly in the invitation, this is not the annual meeting. Well, the hearing officer for the due process intervened and said, hold up, folks. If you're going to meet because you're not getting along, we're going to make this the resolution meeting that's required for a due process complaint, and we're going to make this the annual review. That's strange. Yeah. So, I mean, really active hearing officer on that probably makes sense. So, or administrative law judge, depending on what you call mm-hmm. it in your state. Um, so, so even though initially it wasn't the annual review, it was ordered to be the annual review. So, the school, so it's going to be on May 3rd. School sends out the invitation uh, and uh, lists who's going to be on it, lists the purpose of the meeting, and the link they send for the meeting is at 5 o'clock the day before. And the parent responds about 15 minutes later and says, yeah, you know what? Um, the, the district representative, they're allowed to be in the resolution meeting part of this, but they're not allowed to be in the annual meeting, right? Yeah. And so you can't see Aaron's like, what? <laughs> Sorry. I, yeah. <laughs> Facial expressions are really important to me. That seems absurd. But we've had those even in, in in-person meetings, right? Mm-hmm. Where, no, they're not coming. Well, uh, you know, spoiler alert, parents don't get to dictate who a district invites to the meeting. Now, that doesn't mean pick the person they hate all of the time just because you can. Yeah, probably not. No, but my assumption is maybe we only have one district rep in the school district, or maybe you have multiple, but it's a long-going fight of a case. So maybe I'm giving a practical tip in the middle of a case. Sorry. But if it's a long-going battle and you have the most knowledge, they don't get to choose. No. Right. School district gets to choose who it's who is representing itself at the table for a resolution meeting and for the annual review, which has now been ordered by this. So sorry, parent. Too bad. So sad. But she also threw in there the other funny business of not just right. Her choosing of no district rep for my kids annual review, but she also chose the method of meeting. Right? (laughs) Yeah, she she said that she preferred Microsoft Teams for meeting. And, uh, you know, depending on your experience, uh, Microsoft is a wonderful company. Um, 
Some some folks don't prefer that platform. I you know my, I use a lot of Microsoft. Um, my computer is a Surface, there but I do not enjoy the Teams platform. It's just me. Um, it's fine. But you wonder if that was a sincere request or if that was just her excuse to say, "Well, I need to send my own link for a meeting." So yeah. this this was her segue. This into... is her flex back. <laughs> yeah. Like she's flexing and saying, "Fine, we'll meet, but you're going to take my link. I'm uh-huh. not using your link." Right? And she's then, driving. And now she's driving, which means she's also she's got like the the child safety lock or something on, right? She's controlling who's entering and exiting that vehicle. And uh, so she sends two links later that night, even after the school had replied to her saying, hey, look, fine, we'll use your platform. uh, But we're having one meeting and we're going to bring our people to this virtual meeting. She sends links later that night. Two separate ones, one for the resolution meeting where so she, she invited everybody. She did not listen. No, no. And uh, a separate invite where it, she excluded some folks for the annual review portion of the meeting. So that's late on May 2nd, May 3rd. I'm guessing because this is the education world in the morning. But props to the school because they were flexible. They said, you know what? This is not a battle I wish to pick today. Yep. We will do this. We will attend this meeting and it will be fine. We're not picking this battle today. Or maybe they did. They just (laughs) still didn't pick that battle. Right. 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 Because you know, they all talked about this afterwards, especially what happens on then May 3rd, which is fabulous. Right. So May 3rd, um, mom opens up the room and school folks, like they normally would, try and sign in from multiple computers. And that allowed mom to selectively say, well, nope, I'm not admitting this person. I will admit this person. So uh, she didn't admit the district rep, did, did she? Did not. No. So no. what does the district rep do? Which is what any normal human being would do. She, He or she walked down to another team member who was probably in their own little space, right? Yep. And sat in the room with them. Yeah, and that didn't last long. As soon as she opened her mouth, mom then kicked that person out of the meeting. So, yeah, I mean, a meeting occurred. uh, Even mom's own testimony was, well, yeah, we didn't really do much of substance. (laughs) Well, of course not, because she wasn't letting the team in. And uh, but but yet she still um, has the lack of self-awareness. She files a complaint with the Indiana State Department of Education. Um, claiming that the school failed to convene a proper IEP team meeting because there weren't required team members there, thankfully. Thankfully, they decided yeah. in the school district's favor. Yeah. I, I mean, can you, it's like whack-a-mole. The district <laughs> rep just pops up in these other – this is most amazing. Um, I sincerely hope that that district rep um, – listens to this pod they're in indiana they're not so far away oh yeah email us email us we will (laughs) put you on a phone call it will be amazing (laughs) i will love every second of it you know i'm what i'm glad i didn't see in there uh, sincerely is that the school didn't try and get cute about it they didn't have the district rep like hiding to the side outside Mm -hmm. of the view of the window they didn't use a blurred background i've seen i've seen an attorney do that which is super shady yeah um they didn't do anything cute and that, that was probably the right way to handle this they allowed um the mother to show her rear end basically on Which, this case if that's going to happen happy yeah. trails yeah. no i like that they were the bigger person here right they did yeah. what they needed to do and when parent put up roadblocks you know they tried their best and then probably documented it to the nth degree and they were successful on the other side of that complaint in the state but what that means then is from some practical tips point of view is that you know you you pick your battles, right? Mm-hmm. You document it well. It was clear, though, you know your warning signs for maybe contentious meetings. They knew going into this meeting, 
what was to be expected from this parent, right? Especially from the email communications the day before, probably from the due process. And they knew what was happening. They knew the relationship was already sketchy. They tried to be flexible where they could. And when you do that, then document it. And Mm -hmm. when the parent is unresponsive to that flexibility to allow – when you're saying as a district, I'm trying to allow you to participate as I'm required, you are not allowing your own participation, that is really key. And I think that's a good way of trying to use virtual meetings in that respect just to document all of those pieces. Yeah, and and I think you know as amusing as that case is to us, the vast vast majority of the folks listening to this, your meetings, you don't have that underlying due process complaint. You may even have like the caller did a pre-existing good relationship. You're just noticing that the virtual platform, as Aaron pointed out at the very beginning, it just doesn't lend itself to either repairing or maintaining good relationships. So for those cases. Um, yes, you want to recognize the warning signs, but the, it's not going to be a due process complaint that's filed. It's going to be a parent maybe that um, isn't wanting to meet as much or for as long as before. It's going to be a parent who's really quiet during the meetings when you know perhaps in the past they were not. It's going to be a parent who um, obviously their technology is not serving them well. You know, We've all had the meetings where it's somebody on their phone and it's constantly dropping the meeting. Or if you ask a question like, hey, did that make sense? You know, Do you understand what we're talking about here? They're like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I didn't catch that. Could you repeat it? That sounds like somebody who the technology is not serving them well. Or, well, yes. Or they're also, it's not serving them well because they're not paying attention. Sure. Right? I mean, I there have been plenty of times when I think all of us have had those moments where like, wait a minute. What just happened? Mm-hmm. Right? And so I think noticing, hey, they're in a car. Hey, they're at work. Screens are off. Those sorts of things need to be noticed so that in the future when you're trying to plan for these meetings, it maybe can be a conversation with parent to say, hey, we want to make sure that you have appropriate participation. We would like to hold this meeting in person next sure. time if possible. And if parent refuses and says, no, I want it virtual, we've documented that. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, helps in the whole argument if there's one in the future to say, well, parent, we we tried to get your participation. Right? I mean, we've sat in ones, or at least I know that I have. I'm assuming that you have as well, but just based on the pure plethora of ones we've done. Uh-huh. In that, you know, we, we have sent the IEPs, the ETRs in advance to give proper time for review. And then when we go to attend this meeting and we bring it up on the screen, and I won't go into FERPA issues, we did that in a different pod, right? Mm -hmm. But we bring it up on the screen and the type is so tiny, no one can read a thing, right? And so there's, we've had podcast discussions before where how do we make IEP team meetings parent-friendly and parent-usable, right? We don't sit at the kindergarten tables where our knees are in our chins. We have the box of tissues. We have water as appropriate. I think we also have to look at that from the perspective of doing that, but in a virtual setting. And so how do you make that at least user-friendly when you pull up the screen? That font can't be at a font point nine, right? Mm-hmm. How to walk parents through minimizing the videos, the, the little picture screens of people's faces, so that the font is bigger. Or, hey, encouraging them to follow along with a paper copy, things like that. Well, keeping in mind that for us, you know, Aaron and I, for probably most of the folks listening to this, you've had by now hundreds mm-hmm. of virtual meetings. For some of these parents, even though it feels like for us it's been an attorney, they might be four, yeah. may, maybe, maybe four virtual meetings. Um, so it's not as familiar and they're not as often. So they don't get, you know, it's harder to kind of improve your skills. You know, an, another place to look for warning signs, though, is also from our own school staff, right? So, uh, you know, Aaron, I know you had a meeting where 
Um, in, in the midst of an ETR discussion, a student walks into the school psych's room uh, for you know the next thing that school yep. psych's going to do, right? We schedule back to back to back. And uh, that's a problem. That's a warning sign that yeah. we're not paying enough attention to confidentiality. So looking for things like that, people, uh, school staff, maybe meeting in a public place. We, there's less of that now that yeah. almost everything's in person, but we still maybe you use a service provider that's not an employee of the district, but instead is contracted and they're not sitting in a secure place. We want to address that just like if we were in the analog world, we wouldn't let somebody just say, I'm just going to leave the door open. Yeah, right. No, we wouldn't no, do we that. Would shut the door. Yeah. But I also think it is one. I mean, I'm shifting some from warning signs to some of the how do you pre-plan for those meetings, right? And so, in making it super user friendly, I will um, I will give a shout out to. There's a mediator in the state of Ohio who loves. You know, you go through the introductions at the start, but he strongly encourages you in your. Let's say it's a Zoom room because in Ohio the mediators facilitators use Zoom through the state of Ohio. Fine, don't care mm-hmm. what platform it is. Um, but he encourages you to change your name at the bottom, that it's not just, you know, your your weird username. It is your name and your position. So that when a parent sees you speaking, they automatically then know you are so-and-so SLP. You are so-and-so assistant principal. And that helps make it so much more user-friendly because in real life, you probably go, oh, yeah, remember I'm the OT, right? Or remember I'm, I'm this person, where virtually we're, just, oh, we're talking away and don't think to remind people of who we are, mm-hmm. to allow them to have a context for the conversation we're having about their student and to allow them to bring in what information from a parent perspective they have maybe about our, our specialty area. Super important because bear in mind, the, the human memory is really focused on location. Mm-hmm. That's really important to us evolutionarily. So the, the idea... In a room, even if you're like, they don't know who I am, they're able to know well, the person at the end of the table, the person across from me, that doesn't exist in the virtual world. So, yeah, super important. And especially sometimes a parent might have to call in because they're at work or they're traveling or whatever it might be. And if somebody's calling in, all the more reason to announce then, maybe not even just rely on those uh, titles on the mm-hmm. screen. Hey, this is uh, Jeremy again. I'm the SLP and... Go ahead. Right. So it's the introductions at the beginning. Mm -hmm. It's the labeling on the screen. It's also then knowing that when a parent is calling via phone or maybe has their screen off, if they're not staring at a screen, just to make sure that they understand what who is bringing what information to the table so they know what information to bring to the table. Have you ever found, though, in these meetings, at least maybe practical point for me, uh, setting your duration at the start of it? Oh, my goodness. We lose track of time virtually more so than in person. For whatever reason it is, I've just found that virtual – Because we're sitting on couches. If you're sitting on a comfy couch, (laughs) it's a lot easier to endure that two-hour meeting. My office chair is not a comfy couch. I think I need your office chair, but fine. Uh, But no, I don't disagree. Better than you know the the third-grade chair we're sitting at at a table and it's super uncomfortable. But having the expectations, right? So the need for that agenda, I think to me – is better served in a virtual meeting than it almost is in an in-person meeting. Here's our start time. Here's who's attending. Here's what we're talking about. And here's our expected end time. Hard stop or maybe a little flexible because if we do what school officials do, which is what we do, you're back to back to back, which means it's a hard stop. Otherwise, you've now done what doctor's offices do, where then the rest of your day runs 15 to 20 Mm. minutes behind. 
And yeah. I think that that's an important aspect to at least remind ourselves of. Well, and speaking of hard stops, be familiar with the technology. Uh, these platforms have lots of tools that can help you run a better meeting. Sometimes it includes things like being able to mute someone maybe if they are in that public place and there's a lot of background noise or something like that. Um, it can also include the ability to have a hard stop if there's some sort of emergency. It feels like a lifetime ago, but there was the whole worry about Zoom bombing and there were weirdos who felt compelled to join meetings that weren't theirs and do weird things. Having an emergency break if things are going sideways, but I would say that could include even potentially just with the people who are supposed to be there. Um, it's, it's rare, but there are occasionally meetings where you're just like, look, we need to take a break. Yeah. Um, the ability to do that in the virtual world may be important, and you probably have an idea of what cases that might happen on. Be ready to say, look, I'm going to send everybody to a breakout room just for a brief moment. I think we need to take a pause here. Or, hey, I'm going to pause the meeting for everyone. Let's, you know, I'm, you can say something like, I need, I need a water break. I need to run yeah. to the restroom quickly. Whatever it may be to just break the pattern if we're on a bad cycle. Well, and knowing, I mean, we've been in meetings, right, wrong, or indifferent, where we have to be able to say when they're contentious, setting those expectations, if you need that meeting, or even most importantly, we have the ability, if we're not going to be civil and appropriate to each other, we're going to A, stop the meeting, or B, the weird way of doing it in virtual world can also be muting everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's going to look real ugly for a parent participation claim. However, if we've given the forewarning, right, we've given a warning of, hey, we're all going to be respectful, we're not calling names, we're not doing this, we're not going to yell, we're not going to use language, and then it has to happen, I think that those are moments when documented in a proper prior written notice, it helps a district to show, listen, we planned for our virtual meeting appropriately, we were trying for parent participation, here's how it went sideways, here's the warning we gave, here's the end result. And all of that helps to set a district up for a better situation in at least defending a case on the other side if there is a claim that a parent was denied meaningful parental participation. And building on that, definitely looking for that nonverbal communication. You mentioned earlier in this episode that that can be hard to see. Um, so sometimes it means asking a lot more questions, pausing more often. Don't assume just because somebody's not saying something that they're just sitting there just happy with everything. Their, their foot could be tapping a mile a minute, that sort of thing. So mm -hmm. checking in on that. And then, you know, otherwise, just in general with technology, um, you know, use it correctly. Like look at the camera. People want to feel like you're engaged. Um, so set your – if you use multiple screens, set your camera up in a way that you're looking at the screen where the camera is. Um, thinking through other ways of using those um, platforms, maybe walking the parents through how to use them effectively, um, making sure everything's charged up so we don't have a meeting that just goes sideways really quickly uh, when the, the camera cuts out or a microphone cuts out or something like that. Um, you know, with that, maybe circling back to the call, yeah. Aaron. So, um, you know, with this caller, um, you are not alone. If you feel like you've had relationships yeah. starting to kind of slow down, deteriorate a little bit, and uh, really, it is as simple as, I think, implementing some of these practical tips and sometimes even just acknowledging to the parent, maybe not in the middle of a meeting in front of a bunch of people, yep. but saying, hey, you know, these meetings are tough, aren't they? We get why we're doing it. Uh, here are some things we want to do differently moving forward just so we can feel some of that same connection that we had back when we were meeting in person. That can make a real difference and show them that you care. Sometimes just naming it can be the, the difference between um, you know, continuing the downward spiral and them kind of appreciating that, well, this is the world we're in and this is how we can move forward together. Thank you for joining us. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share and give us a review on your favorite podcast platform and follow or subscribe to On The Call. 
This helps other special education leaders find the podcast. If you have a topic you would like to suggest, a question about today's episode, or anything else you'd like to let us know, please email us at podcast at ennisbritton.com. A quick note, this podcast is intended to be used for general information only and is not legal advice. If you have a specific question, please consult an attorney. Whether by phone or this podcast, we're looking forward to being on the call with you again soon.